The latest issue of the school is available to read online now. Issue 4 of our Digital Monthly, in aid of supporting the freelance community through the COVID-19 pandemic, is themed Sliding Doors. Richard Jolly, Hugh Davis, Alex Hess and more great writers explore some alternative footballing realities. To discover more and support the school, just search the Blizzard Sliding Doors online today. From the pages of the Blizzard, the Football Quarterly, a look through the archives where we bring you some of our favourite articles to have appeared in the magazine since we first began in 2011. In episode 130, we feature The Rejected Retraction by Richard Jolly, first published in The School Sliding Doors in July 2020. Sir Alex Ferguson rang Maurice Watkins. He had changed his mind, the Manchester United manager reported. Or rather, it had been changed for him. The Ferguson family, corralled by Cathy, his wife, had informed him he was not retiring at the end of the 2001-2 season. He was only about to turn 60 anyway, and his friend Bobby Robson was almost a decade older and still going strong. So could he have a new contract? Three years would take him up to 2005. It would allow him to build a new team. It was then the conversation turned awkward. Watkins said he and the United board had needed to plan for the future. They had thought a man as decisive as Ferguson would not perform a U-turn. They had identified their preferred candidates, approached him and agreed a deal. Only a select few knew because they were aware there would be a storm when it was revealed United had poached England's popular manager in a World Cup year. But Svengor and Eriksson would succeed Ferguson at Old Trafford. For once, Ferguson was speechless, defeated by himself and a foe he did not understand. Eriksson, with his bland facade, seemed to lack his iron will but had outmanoeuvred him. Ferguson was further annoyed when the storm broke and some of his least favourite journalists and pundits suggested United had got an upgrade in Ericsson, who had ended the Northern Giants' domination of Serie A to make Lazio champions and then had orchestrated historic England's 5-1 thrashing of Germany. He turned his attention to his final few months at Old Trafford, but there was no happy ending. December defeats cost United and they could not catch Arsenal in the Premier League. They came behind Liverpool leading Gerard Houllier to claim United have been knocked off their perch as Cox of the North. There would be no Champions League final at Hampden Park, the Graham Ferguson called home, in his days as a Queen's Park centre forward. Bayer Leverkusen knocked United out in the semi-final. Ferguson's critics attributed it to his decision to sell Yapstam the previous year, interpreting it as a sign of decline. His mood was not improved as he stewed in Wilmslow during Ericsson's extended honeymoon period. The Swede had been hounded out of the England job, but his reputation was then enhanced when his replacement Steve McLaren was outwitted by Argentina's Marcelo Bielsa during a wretched group stage exit from the World Cup and burnished as United reclaimed the Premier League title in 2002-03. Ericsson repeated his England formula and appointed David Beckham captain, leading to record revenues for United's commercial department as the sponsorship deals flowed in. Beckham had never been more prolific, and one Sebastian Veron produced his Lazio form for United, leading to further unflattering comparisons with Ferguson. Pele declared Nicky Butt was the best player in the Champions League after watching him combine wonderfully well with Paul Scholes in a holding midfield duo in Veron's absence. But when the Argentinian returned, Scholes was soon exiled to the left wing. Eriksson, some said 
could not find a way to resolve his Veron Skulls conundrum. Ericsson has spent heavily on his Lazio loyalists, capitalising on the financial problems of his former club by bringing in Hernan Crespo to partner Ruud van Nistelrooy in his preferred 4-4-2 formation, and Alessandro Nesta. The Italian defender's arrival sent cash-strapped Leeds, who had hoped to sell Rio Ferdinand to another United for £30 million, on a path that led them to administration. The odd man out in Ericsson's midfield was Roy Keane, who had propelled Ireland to a World Cup final he missed after collecting a self-sacrificial caution in the semi-final. But his mood took a turn for the worse after losing the captaincy. He clashed with Ericsson's explosive assistant, Roberto Mancini, and struggled to hide his disdain for the Swede. You can stick your abba up your bollocks, he told a bemused Ericsson in one row. Fucking dancing queen. Keane was dropped for the Champions League quarter-final against Real Madrid, came on and scored twice, goals he pointedly did not celebrate. But United went out in a thriller that persuaded a watching Russian billionaire Roman Abramovich to buy a club. He swoops for Chelsea. Ferguson, who has cabin fever at home, was quick to put feelers out. Abramovich was swift to sack Claudio Ranieri and appoint a serial winner. Ferguson had one aim, to take down Ericsson and United. He started off by outbidding his old club for some young players he had identified before retiring with, in Damien Duff, Iron Robin, Petr Cech, Joe Cole and Glenn Johnson. He tried to raid United, making a series of bids for men he deemed his disciples. Keane, Scholes, Ryan Giggs and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who had been dropped for Crespo. Ericsson was happy to take the opportunity to offload the outspoken Keane, exploiting Lazio's lack of money by replacing him with Diego Simeone. The notion that United could prosper when one of their star players had got another sent off in a World Cup struck many as anathema. Ericsson wondered what all the fuss was about. Meanwhile, Arsene Wenger picked up on a young Portuguese prodigy who had been on his radar. He loaned Cristiano Ronaldo back to Sporting Lisbon for a year and scarcely needed him as Arsenal went through the season unbeaten while Chelsea and United continued their footballing arms war by staging a bidding war for the 17-year-old Wayne Rooney. Ferguson won. Wenger accused both of financial doping, which Ericsson shrugged off. Ferguson took particular delight when his Chelsea side knocked Arsenal out of the Champions League, but the cracks in Ericsson's United started to show when they were eliminated by Porto. First half good, second half not so good, said the Swede, but that had started to fill a theme. His reliance on 4-4-2 left United outnumbered in the middle of midfield. His side felt more of a star vehicle than a genuine team, and selling Solskjaer to Ferguson deprived him of a super sub. Ericsson had instead pursued an expensive reunion with Christian Vieri, which few thought had worked. Meanwhile, that unheralded Porto side proceeded to win the Champions League and Liverpool, looking for a successor to Julio, hired a boyhood Liverpool fan, Jose Mourinho. It is, of course, all fictional. And yet the pertinent element is how much of what happened between Christmas 2001 and the summer of 2004 set the direction of the Premier League for the next decade, if not longer. Most obviously, Ferguson remained at Old Trafford for a further 11 years, winning six more Premier Leagues, reaching a further three Champions League finals and lifting his second European Cup in 2008. He defied predictions of his decline. In his own way, he outlast everyone, even Wenger, in the sense that his last league title in 2013 came nine years after the Frenchman's. It was Ferguson who emerged as the major rival to Abramovich's Chelsea. As his family suggested, he could build another great team, and indeed began to do so soon after reversing his decision to retire. 
A four-year wave of significant signings began. Ferdinand, Ronaldo, Rooney, Jisung Park, Edwin van der Sar, Patrice Evra, Nemianda Vidic and Michael Carrick were all to start the 2009 Champions League final. Ronaldo was one of many on Wenger's radar who eluded him. Perhaps otherwise the Portuguese could have formed a very different successor to Dennis Bergkamp or Robert Pires. It is certainly possible to bracket Ronaldo and Thierry Henry as the two best ever Premier League players. Had Arsenal secured both, they would have surely not gone nine years without a trophy. They probably would have won the Champions League. They might now be seen as English football's real superpower. Maybe Wenger would even have Ferguson's status as arguably its best ever manager. Without Ferguson's last 11 years, he may rank behind Sir Matt Busby, the builder of three great teams at Old Trafford. Without the post-2002 Ferguson too, would Scholes and Giggs have retired as one-club men, even if they came closest to leaving in the time after the Scot rescinded his retirement. It feels implausible to suggest that without Ferguson's influence or his time as his reserve team manager, Solskjaer would be in charge today or, indeed, that his recommendation David Moyes would have ever got the United job. It may strike some as fanciful to suggest Ericsson could, like Ferguson, have piloted United to the 2003 title. After all, it remains the case that only Ernest Mangle, Busby and Ferguson have made United champions. Louis van Gaal and Jose Mourinho have arrived with more silverware-studded CVs in the Swede, not even staged a proper title challenge. There is a temptation to date Ericsson's decline from the 5-1 in Munich, or perhaps the 1-0 World Cup win over Bielsa's Argentina, but he was at the peak of his powers when Ferguson contemplated standing down. Perhaps an Ericsson-Mancini double act would have been formidable, and the Italian had gone from being the on-field manager to the Swedes' number two at Lazio. Maybe Ferguson's on-field legacy would have been better had he quit in 2002. By 2013, his aura and winning habit had compensated for other deficiencies, and he bequeathed an ageing defence and a substandard midfield. In 2002, the class of 92 were all in their prime. So were Van Nistelrooy, Solskjaer and Veron. and it is tempting to wonder if Ericsson, either at Old Trafford or Stamford Bridge, could have turned the Argentinian he twice signed into a success in England. And yet, especially considering the 2006 World Cup, it is hard to escape the sense that United's descent into celebrity culture would have come sooner had he replaced Ferguson. The Scots lacked the damaging big-name fixation United exhibited after his eventual retirement. Certainly, Beckham may not have decamped to Real Madrid in 2003, when Ferguson was far-sighted enough to make the young Ronaldo his replacement. Ferguson was implacable in some respects, flexible in others. A tactical chameleon adapted to the era of Mourinho and the changing demands of the Champions League, while Ericsson was stuck in his 4-4-2 straitjacket. Ferguson would usually field three in the centre of midfield against elite European opponents, and Erid, as in the 2011 Champions League final, when he did not. And that shift accounted for United's most consistent spell as a continental force in their history. Most damningly, Ferguson's second coming brought the row with United investors John Madgenier and J.P. McManus over the Rock of Gibraltar. Without that, they might have not sold their shares to the Glazers and United would not have been loaded with debt and laboured with repayments. The more amenable Ericsson, who seemed to glide through life without amassing enemies or bothering with grudges, presumably wouldn't have had any sort of fallout. The Swede sometimes stood his ground against Ferguson, but the animosity felt one-sided. Perhaps anger drove Ferguson certainly relentlessness did and as his family recognised retiring at 60 would have been too early for a man and his incessant drive 
It would have rendered him the preeminent candidate for any ambitious club once hints emerged he regretted his departure. That he succeeded at clubs as different as East Stirlingshire and Manchester United over times as distant as 1974 and 2013 suggests his methods were sufficiently transferable and his personality so forceful that he could have flourished anywhere. And yet part of his strength stemmed from control. The most important person at United he proudly more than once said was the manager. The last great dictator would not have been afforded the same authority elsewhere, and an owner as impatient as Abramovich might not have stuck with him during United's awful autumn of 2005, for instance. Ferguson can be called a genius, but it took time to bring trophies to both Aberdeen and United. It took time to develop a winning mentality. Once he did, United benefited for two decades, but that seemingly permanent domination ended with his departure. Probably United would have fallen away sooner without him, and without his extraordinary Indian summer, maybe, though an early successor would have been the better position to become the fourth United manager to win the league. Ferguson could have facilitated Ericsson's triumph, though the younger man surely would not have sustained success into his 70s. If you enjoyed this, then make sure you subscribe and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also, follow us on Twitter at Blizzard. That's at B-L-Z-Z-R-D. That's the best place to keep up to date with all things Blizzard between each issue. Thanks for listening and farewell. If only there was a way to immortalise football's greatest games, goals and moments with some incredible artwork for that blank space in your wall. We've partnered with The Goal Hanger to help you do just that. Choose from one of our own picks like the 2005 Champions League final in Istanbul or the 2000 European Championship final or request your own favourite goal of all time. Discover more and order your print from just £30. Just head to the relevant link in the podcast description.